Well, hallelujah to the Lamb. It is time for the Word of God. And uh, we have a word that I know God has for you, for your family, for your community, for this country, for this world. The Word of God is still true. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and you're our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll never forget this experience I had. It's been some years ago. I was leaving my home on my way to the main location of our church to play basketball. You know it's been some while ago because I haven't played basketball in years. But uh, as I was getting ready to leave to go play basketball in our gym, a storm came out of nowhere. It got dark at a time it doesn't get dark. The clouds got dark. The sky got dark. It began to rain uh, very hard. Hail started coming down. Uh, lightning was flashing, thunder, all of that. I'm jumping my car, and it's almost zero visibility. So I'm going extremely slow, hoping that by the time I get to the highway, uh, this will clear up a little bit. I'll be able to see where I'm going. And as I'm heading towards the highway to get to the church, I see a woman that's running in the rain in the storm. So I pull over, I stop the car, and without invitation, she opens my car door, jumps in, and sits in the car. And I say to her, I said, uh, are you all right? She said, no, I ain't all right. And I knew she wasn't all right because she was a white lady jumping in a black man's car we never met before. I'm 6'2", 200 pounds, and she's just jumping in my car with no invitation. And uh, she said, no, I ain't all right. I got caught in this storm. And it's, it's, it's hailing and it's raining and it's, it's hard out here. I said, okay, well, you're safe now. Just tell me where you live and I'll, I'll take you to your home. She says, I'm not going home. I said, well, where are you going? I'll be glad to take. She says, I'm going to the church. I got to go back to church. She said, I had dropped my son off at youth meeting and I was hoping to get a run in before youth meeting was over. And she said, but when I started running away from the church, that's when everything got dark. That's when the storm came. That's when the lightning started flashing. That's when the hail started coming. And I found myself in this storm. Listen to what she said. She said, when I started running away from the church, that's when things got dark. That's when she began to catch hail. That's when she got caught in a storm. And that's what I want to preach about today. I want to preach about caught in the storm. In the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, I want you to hear God's word in the fourth verse of the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Here's what God's word says. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up, caught in the storm. Now, the storm in, in Jonah, it starts in chapter 1, verse 4. But I want to talk a little bit about what was going on before the storm. It says in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The son of Amittai? Amittai means truth. So Jonah is the son of the truth. Jonah has the truth in his DNA as a part. 
He's been living with the truth for a long time. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach the truth in Nineveh and tell them that they're wicked and wretched and wrong. And if they don't repent, all hell is going to break loose. And Jonah, after he got that word from the Lord, he didn't do what God said. He, he decided, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go get on a ship in Tarshish, and then I'm going to head a ship in Joppa and head to Tarshish. Now, I want you to get this. God told him to go to Nineveh. That's, that's northwest. He ended up going towards Tarshish. That's east. He's going in the direct opposite of the place that God told him to go. God told him to go in one direction. He's going in the total opposite direction of where God told him to go. He's missing the message that God gave to him, and it's not out of indifference. And it's not because he's ignorant. It's with, it is very intentional. He just decided, I'm not going to do what God said to do. Here is a man, Jonah, who has a relationship with God. He has a call on God's life. He's a prophet of the Lord. He he lives with the truth. He's got truth as a part of his DNA. He knows he's able to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of the world. So he didn't ignore God's word. And he wasn't ignorant of God's word. He intentionally disobeyed God's word because he disagreed with God. And he missed the message of God. And out of that disagreement, out of that disobeying God's word, that's when he had this disconnect with God. Now, let me say this, because there are those who the enemy deceives. The Bible says that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light and even deceive the very elect. There are some people that miss God's word and miss God's message because they're deceived. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul was preaching about Adam and Eve, and he says Eve was deceived by the serpent in regard to the word of God. But Adam deliberately went outside God's word. So there are some like Eve who are deceived. There are others like Adam and like Jonah who deliberately don't do what God, they deliberately disobey God because they disagree with God. And I have heard people say, I know what the Bible says, but these are people who have a relationship with God. They know that God's word is the authority for the life of the church and the life of the believer. But despite that, they'll say, I know what God's word says. I know what the Bible says, but. Now, how are you going to put a but behind God's word? How are you going to put a but behind the Bible? Once God says something, that should settle it with, with, with us. When I was coming up in our church, we had a statement, a phrase that said, God said it. I believe it, that settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I shortened it. God said it, that settles it. God ain't waiting on you and I to believe it before it's settled. Whatever God's word says, whatever the scriptures say, that message of God is settled. But when we do like Jonah and we disobey God, some of us deliberately then there comes this disconnect with God. It said Jonah then started to try to run from the presence of God. How do you run from the presence of God? You know, that is a theological impossibility. You can't run from the presence of God. God is omnipresent. That's one of the attributes that makes him God. He's everywhere at the same time. You're trying to run from God? 
God is where you are right now. And wherever you're trying to run to, God is already there. And everywhere in between where you are and where you're trying to go, God is there too. It is a theological impossibility to run from the presence of God. Uh, but it does demonstrate this disconnect he had with God because of his disobedience to the word of God. He's rejecting God's will. He's rebellious to God's way. He's resisting God's word. And out of that disobedience and that disconnect with God, Jonah finds himself on a downward spiral. In verse 3, it says, he went down to Joppa. And then it says, he got on, and he went down into the ship uh, in, in verse 3. And then it says in verse 5, he went down into the lower part of the ship. Uh, he went on a downward spiral when he began to disobey God. Next thing you know, he went down into the sea. They threw him overboard. Then he went down into a fish. Then the fish went with him in his stomach down into the... Because when you and I miss the message of God and we have this disconnect with God, we find ourselves on a downward spiral all because he wouldn't be receptive to the word of God, the message that God had for him. Uh, Kevin Hart is a great comedian and actor. He's reached the pinnacle of his profession. He's at the top of his game, multimillionaire, very successful in his field, Kevin Hart. He's so successful until Oprah Winfrey reached out to him to do an interview. Now, you know you made it when Oprah wanted to sit down and talk to you. So Oprah's interviewing Kevin Hart and talking about his success. Then Oprah asked Kevin Hart, how did you get started? We know you're successful now. We know you at the peak of your profession, but how did you get started? And Kevin Hart began to reflect upon his start. And he said he and his mom came to an agreement. He wanted to be a comedian. He wanted to be an actor. And so he and his mom said, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you one year. And you can go on to L.A. and you can try to make it for a year. And I'll help you during that time. But after that, if you don't make it, you're on your own after that. So he said he went to L.A. And uh, he said things were going well in terms of getting opportunities in comedy stores and comedy shops. And, and he said he just wasn't making any money. He said he's having fun making connections and networking, just wasn't making any money. He might get $75 for doing a comedy because uh, he wasn't Kevin Hart back then. He was just Kevin Hart. So he was just getting started. And he said after a few months, he couldn't pay his rent because he wasn't making any money. And so he called his mom and said, Mom, I need your help with my rent. Because you said you give me a year. It's been a few months, but I need to pay my rent. I need some help. And he said his mother asked him, uh, have you been reading your Bible? He said, no, Mom, I'm, I haven't been reading my Bible, but we need to talk about this rent money. They're going to put me out if I don't get to pay this rent. And she said, you need to read your Bible. So they get off the phone. And then a few days later, the landlord comes and talks to Kevin Hart and says, man, I, you can't stay here for free. You, if you don't pay your rent, I'm going to have to evict you. I'm going to have to put you out. So Kevin Hart calls his mom again, mom, the landlord just left, said, I need to pay my rent. I need you to help me pay this rent or he's going to put me out of here. He said, his mother asked him, have you read your Bible? Have you been reading your Bible? And he said, he lied this time and said, yeah, mom, I've been reading my Bible. His mother said, okay, well, let's talk about what you, what did you read? And he had to get off the phone because he knew he was lying to his mother about reading the Bible. And he was just frustrated with her because she wanted to talk about reading the Bible. He needed rent money. Not long after that, there was an eviction notice on his door. And when he saw that eviction notice on his door, again, he called his mom and said, I'm desperate, mom, that the eviction notice is on the door. I need you to help me pay my rent. I'm not going to be able to stay. And his mother said to him again, 
did you read your Bible? And he said he was so frustrated with his mom, he got off the phone, he's getting put out of the apartment. He said the only thing he had left to do was read the Bible. So he grabs the Bible and he goes to read it. And Kevin Hart said when he opened the Bible, six checks fell out of the Bible. Six predated checks. His mother had written six predated checks for the year to help him with his rent and his resources and put it in the Bible. But he didn't know he had it because he wouldn't read his Bible, the thing he'd been waiting for and asking for and hoping for, it was already there, but he didn't know it because he wouldn't read the Bible. He said that day he read the Bible. He's been reading the Bible every day since then because what he needed, the answer was in the Bible. Y'all, God has a word for us. He's given us that word. It's the Bible. It's the Scriptures. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet, is a light to our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's Word. David said, God, hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Before the storm, Jonah ends up missing the message of God. And when he missed that message of God, that's when God began to make some miraculous moves in his life. He had messed with God. He went in the total opposite direction. He gets on a ship in Joppa. He's headed to Tarshish, which is the total opposite direction of Nineveh, where God told him to go. And verse 4 in Jonah 1 says, and God sent a storm, this wind, and this storm showed up, and the ship began to break apart because God sent the storm. This is a move of God. I know oftentimes... When we talk about a move of God, we talk about how God paid my bills and how God helped me get the house and God gave me a promotion and God helped me to get in school and God helped me to graduate and, and, and how God gave me money. And God does move like that. I'm a witness. God can and will move like that. But those are not the only moves God makes. God did move. He moved because he sent a storm. And then God made another move because Jonah got thrown overboard and God moved uh, a big fish to come and swallow him up. Then God made another move. In chapter 4, he had a plant to grow up. And then God made a move, and he had a worm to come in and destroy the plant. Then God made another move and sent wind. God makes these moves in our lives in order to redirect us to get us to where we should have been in the first place. So when Jonah missed the message of God, he's going in the wrong direction. He's on a downward spiral. God sent a storm. God says, I love you too much to let you continue to move in the wrong direction. I love you too much to let you keep trying to run from my presence and run from Christ and the church and the kingdom of God and the things that I have for you. And God says, I'll send a storm to turn that thing around in your life. And it dawned on me, if God has sent a storm to address one person's disobedience, what would God do for a disobedient nation? For a nation who's socially disobedient, for a nation that's caught up in systemic racism, what would God do for a disobedient that doesn't love your neighbor the way you love yourself, that doesn't have systems in place where I was hungry and you fed me, I was in prison, you came to see me, I was sick and you checked on me, gave me the health care that I needed, when, when I was homeless and you found me affordable housing, when we are disobedient as a nation, if God was sent a storm for one person, imagine what he'll do for a disobedient nation. 
And when God sent that storm, it didn't just affect Jonah. It affected all the men that were on the ship. Here are all these men on the ship. They're going to sell their product and merchandise in different ports and different places. This storm hits. The ship is starting to fall apart. They're trying to get the water out of the ship. They're throwing cargo overboard. Their merchandise overboard. And all the while, Jonah is down in the lower part of the ship. He's sleeping. He's sleeping through a storm. I wish I had hours to talk about this because I would raise the issue about those who actually cause these storms are the ones who are sleeping through the storms while the rest of us are working hard to try to get it right. The ones who are causing it are the ones who are indifferent and sleeping through the storm. Because Jonah somehow doesn't get that the storm, even though it's for you, is not just about you. It doesn't just, when you're disobedient and you disconnect with God and you're on this downward spiral, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts, Jonah, the people who are close to you. The men on the ship had to go through stuff. And even now, there are some of us who are living in the consequence of somebody else's ugly choices. That somebody else made bad decisions. It wasn't us, but we're living in the consequence of that because they didn't understand that even though you made the choice, it's impacting other people. I listen to people say, well, even though I'm, I'm wrong and I know the Bible says I shouldn't do this, I'm big, I'm grown, I should be able to make my own decisions and my own, and it ain't bothering nobody but me. It's bothering more than you because it's not just about you. I had an interesting situation to take place at my house. <laughs> Every morning I would come out and on one of my cars, it was a a line of bird mess from the top of the door of my car all the way to the bottom of my car. Just a line of bird mess. Not all over the car, just this one spot. So I come out, clean it every morning. Then the next morning, same thing would happen. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And these birds are leaving this one, just a line of bird mess on my car. I finally figured out what it was. It was a red cardinal who would sit on the door of my car and look at himself in the mirror. And he would focus on himself, in, and he would sit there for hours focused on himself. And all the while, when he went to relieve himself, it would be right there on my car, focusing in on himself and leaving a big mess that somebody had to come behind that and clean up his mess. And y'all, unfortunately, we're living in a country where there's a head of state that's so focused on himself. He's so narcissistic that even in a pandemic, even when uh, millions of people ha have this coronavirus and tens of thousands are dying, even in the midst of social injustice uh, with the oppressor with their knee on the neck of black and brown people to the point that we can't breathe. And you want to focus on yourself and your polls and photo ops to try to have yourself look a certain way to people? That you want to focus on how many people are showing up at your rally? In the midst of all that is going on in this nation, you're so focused on yourself until other people got to come behind you and clean up your mess. You know how many people have gone to prison? trying to clean up the mess of this head of state that's so focused on himself. You know how many people had to go to jail trying to clean up the mess of this head of state that's so narcissistic? Do you know how many people have had to go to court trying to clean up the mess of this man focusing in on himself? How many 
people have had to lie to the American people to try to clean up the mess because of his fault. It's not just about you, Jonah, but it impacts the other people around you when you dismiss God and disconnect from God. And y'all, when you and I turn our back on Christ and the church and the kingdom of God, especially those of us that we believe Jesus died on the cross, believe God raised him from the dead, received him into our lives, and now we're running away from Christ and the church. We turn our back on the things of God, and here comes this storm, and God makes these moves, and he sends this storm and I love this about God because God, I know a lot of times uh, we look at the damage that storms bring. We don't, a lot of us don't know the blessings of thunderstorms because we're so busy looking at the damage that the ship was being broken apart and falling apart. And I don't have time to talk about what was falling apart was the thing Jonah was trying to use to get away from where God wanted him to be. The thing he was using for his disobedience, that's what God had fall apart. I don't have time to work on that. But even as the storm came, there's some positive things, some blessings that come out of storm. Even in thunderstorms, y'all, all that rain that comes from thunderstorms begin to provide the water that for many continents would go dry if it were not for the rain from the thunderstorm. And bodies of waters and these lakes would dry up and the fish wouldn't have anywhere to reside and live and make it. And crops Every nation is not like the United States with all these irrigation systems and ways to irrigate our crops. But it's the water that comes from the storms that help these plants and these crops to grow. The blessing in that and the lightning that comes from the thunderstorms are able to convert nitrogen and other gases. It's, it's able to convert it into a compound that fertilizes crops. So 10 to 20% of the fertilizer for crops to grow is because of the light and the storm that has come. And these thunderstorms cool off certain areas of the world that need to be cooled down so that plants can live and human beings can live and animals can live. It's a lot of blessings that come in a storm. So God sends this storm. And when the people on the ship get caught in the storm, it said they began to call. Oh, I'm trying to show you the blessings in the storm. They began to call on the name of God. Before the storm, they were calling on everybody else but God. But when they got called in the storm, they started calling on the true and living God. They were calling on idols and graven images. They were calling on small G gods. But when all hell began to break loose, they began to call on the name of the Lord, the true and the living God. Then they made a contribution to the Lord. A contribution? Yeah, they began to make sacrifice. They had never sacrificed sacrifice to the Lord before. They never made a donation. They never gave any time, any talent, any treasure. They never made a sacrifice until they got caught in the storm. Then they committed their lives to the Lord. I'm trying to show you how God uses storms to bring, bring a blessing to us, to commit our lives to him, to make contributions to him, and to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Dr. A. Lewis Patterson says that most of us we play in the calm, but we pray in the storm. And since we play in the calm and we pray in the storm, that God has a way of turning our calms into storms so we stop playing and start praying. And there they were. Now they're getting this thing right with the Lord. But the storm is still going on. And they, they go and wake up Jonah. Man, who are you? What's going on with this? And trying to figure out who's the cause of the storm. And Jonah said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm the cause of this. I ran away from God. He's the God of the sea and the land. I serve the true and living God. And I ran. I was running away from him. That's why this storm is here. 
He said, just throw me overboard. And they didn't want to throw him overboard. They talked about not throwing him overboard. And here's, here's what I want us to get from this. They didn't want to throw him overboard because they didn't think Jonah could make it without them. We have the ship. We have the resources. We have the knowledge. We have the know-how. We can't throw him overboard because he can't make it without us. And some of us have this, this Messiah uh, syndrome where we so busy trying to save people that we think they can't make it without us. Y'all, anybody, everybody can make it without anybody except Jesus. I, if you give your life to Jesus Christ by faith, that doesn't mean we don't help each other. That don't mean we don't come alongside each other. That don't mean we don't bless each other. But I'm trying to tell you, don't let anybody make you think you can't make it without them. You can make it without anybody but Jesus. And then don't get in your head that somebody can't make it without you. They can, they can make it without anybody except Jesus, including you and me. They said, we don't want to throw him overboard. They sitting up here getting ready to get in the way of what God wanted to do in this man's life. This man going in the wrong direction. God trying to turn him around to get into the place and the purpose he's supposed to be living. And these people getting ready to get in the way of that. They finally, they had to throw him up. Now, here's the thing about this. They, when they woke him up, got him out, trying to figure out we're going to throw him over. Here's what they said. Now, who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Who are your people? Where do you work? Watch these questions. So these are some great questions that need to be asked. What is your name? That's who are you? Who are your people? Your mom and daddy. Where are you from? Where are your background? And then I know you're sleeping through a storm, but where you work? What's, what's going on? What's your occupation? Those are great, great questions. Wrong timing. How are you going to wait to the middle of a storm? You throwing merchandise overboard, cargo overboard, try to steady. You're in the middle of a storm. Now you're going to ask these questions? Those are the kind of questions you need to ask before you let somebody on your ship. Who are you? What's your name? Who are your parents? What's your background? Where do you work? Those are questions you need to ask before you let somebody on your friendship or your relationship or your business partnership. And after they got all that straight, Jonah got them, said, listen, the Lord is doing this. The Lord is trying to tell me something. And they threw Jonah overboard. And the one they thought couldn't make it without them, God prepared. That's what it says at the end of chapter one. God prepared a great fish. And this fish comes, opens its mouth, swallows Jonah whole. And Jonah spends three nights, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Now I got to slow this down because... There's some of us who claim this is why I don't believe uh, in the Bible because of stories like this. That could never happen. Marine biologists tell us that, uh, that there is no way, there, no time in the history of the world or presently that a fish has a mouth large enough and a stomach large enough to swallow a human being whole, let them stay in there for three days and three nights. And so that's not something I don't believe in the Bible. Then other folks say, well, you know, this is a, this is a parable, that this, is, um, this didn't actually happen. It's a truth that's being told. Yo, I don't believe this is a parable because oftentimes when it is a parable, the writers of the Scriptures let us know it's a parable. And Jesus spoke to them in parables. Then he would tell a story. 
This, I believe this actually happened. Now, I got to admit, though, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I believe, y'all, I believe that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made it through the fiery furnace. I believe that Daniel was in the lion's den with the lions all night and came out. I believe Paul and Silas were in jail and an earthquake came and set them free. I believe the axe head swam. I believe the jackass spoke. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I don't believe this is a parable, but here's the thing about parables. Parables help us to get the point and the truth without tripping over the story. So we're able to get what the truth is without tripping over the illustration or the story. And I don't want you to, to miss the truth about God preparing things to turn things around in our life, to get us to live out our purpose and the place he wants us through this story. But I, I believe the Bible, and I believe that this story did, that this actually did happen in Jonah's. But I, I know that some people are like that, uh, that fourth, fourth grade teacher. And the fourth grade teacher was talking to uh, the, the class about marine life and talking about dolphins and sea lions and, and, and talking about fish and whales and sharks. And as he was talking about sea life in the fourth grade class, there was a, a little girl in the class, she couldn't help it. And she raised her hands, told the teacher, said, listen, my Sunday school teacher said that a big fish swallowed Jonah whole and he stayed there for three days and three nights. And then the teacher who happened to be an atheist said, that's why I don't believe in the Bible because no fish has a mouth big enough to do that or a belly big enough to do that, and I don't believe it happened. That's what the atheist fourth-grade teacher told the little girl. So the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah, did it happen? And then the teacher asked, well, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl said, then you can ask him. My point is this, that y'all, God makes moves to prepare what we need to help us to line our lives up with where he would have for us to go. When Jonah was thrown over that fish, he got in that fish's mouth. And you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about uh, social distancing. You're talking about social isolation. You're talking about quarantine. He was quarantined for three days by himself. And in chapter two, he called it Sheol. He called it a place of the dead. He called it hell. He said, I was in hell for three days because hell is not just a location that you go to when you die, but hell is a condition you experience while you're still on earth. He got caught in a storm. Now he's in catching hell in the belly of this fish, but God is always up to something. What was God up to in his life? Let me give it to you real quick. Jonah began to pray in chapter 2. And when after Jonah began to pray, he then talked about the place of God, the house of God, getting connected to God's house. Then he remembered the personal relationship that he had with God. Then he talked about paying his vows to the Lord. And then he talked about praising God. Watch what happened when he got caught in the storm. It changed his prayer life. It got a whole lot better. He began to remember the personal relationship that he had with the Lord. He remembered, now I need to be connected with the place of God, the house of God, the church in the 21st century. And then he said, I got to start paying my tithes and my offering. And he began to give God praise. Maybe that's why God allowed us to go through the storms that we're going through, because God is seeking to make moves in our lives to get us to where we should have been in the first place. Let me get to the last thing. That fish now, after three days and three nights, spits Jonah out. And Jonah ends up 
in Nineveh preaching the Word of God and preaching the truth. And what we see here is the mercy of God. I want you to see this. This is in chapter 3 in verse 1. Watch the mercy and the favor and the grace of God. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Oh, I love that. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The se- Jonah, he disagreed with God. He was disobedient to God. He disconnected from God. He was on a downward spiral, but God didn't give up on him. God said, even though you messed up, even though you missed my message, even though you, you were sleeping through a storm, I didn't give up on you. And God came to Jonah and spoke to him a second. I just want you to know that God gives us another chance. I'm not up here preaching because I never made a mistake. I'm not pastor one of God's greatest churches because I've never done wrong and missed the message of God. I, not that I've never been disobedient, but I'm up here doing God's will because God gives us another chance. It's not just Jonah. Most of us didn't get it right on the first try. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think you're the only one that messed up so bad. Now God is through. God is not through with you. God will give you a second chance and a third chance and another chance. It's the mercy of God. And God spoke to him a second time. Now, when God spoke to Jonah a second time in Jonah chapter 3, he said the same thing he said to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1. God's word didn't change because you've been through a storm. God's word didn't change because you kept going down. What God has to say, his truth doesn't change because you got a problem in your life. It's the same word that you should have gotten the first time. Maybe you'll get it this time because of the mercy of God. And that fish spit Jonah out. And Jonah's in Nineveh preaching. And and matter of fact, that whole community got turned around because of the experience Jonah had. Maybe God is allowing you and I to go through what we're going through because he's going to use us to turn people around and lives around and community, the country, maybe the world around because of the experience that we're going through. And I love this. It's the mercy of God. Watch this and I'm done. Jonah went down in one place between Joppa and Tarshish on that ship, he went down. But after that experience in the storm, he came up in another place. I believe it was Nineveh because it doesn't talk about that he got on another ship or that he got on a chariot or a train or a plane or anything else. I believe that when that experience was over, that fish spit him up right where God told him to go in the first. So he went down in one place. He came up in another place. He went down in that pathway of disobedience, but he came up because of the mercy and the grace of God right where God wanted him to be, living out his purpose with those people in that place. I know you've been going down. I know life is rough and life is hard, and this pandemic has been taking you down. This social injustice is taking you, to, taking you down. This racism and oppression It's taking you down. I get it. Unemployment and all the financial issues is taking you down. But y'all, storms don't last all the way. I'm so glad that trouble don't last all the way. And when it's over, the God I serve is even though you went down in one place, he's going to raise you up right in the place and the position with the people and the purpose that God has designed for you in your life. I'll close like this. Uh, I believe it was back in 2000. Our our music ministry had just done a recording, Lord, I Worship, great recording, gifted people, and it was such a, a glory to God and a blessing to others. 
And, and literally, our, our choir went on a, a tour, and part of the tour was in Europe. They went over to Europe to sing, Lord, I worship, and to honor and glorify God. So when they went to Europe, I, I went with them. My wife was going, I said, we're going to make a thing of this. So we go over to Europe, and so we go into Dallas, and they minister in Dallas. Then we, I don't know how many flights we had to take. We finally get to London. And when we land in London, after all those flights, we're exhausted. And then we have to now catch a bus for an hour and a half to get from the airport to the hotel that we're staying in. And we finally get to that hotel, and we're all tired. We all beat after that long travel experience. And I told my wife, with all these people on this bus and all this luggage, I said, babe, you stay and make sure we get our luggage. I'm going to be the first one in the building, and I'm going to get us registered for our room because we're going to, we got to get up to this room. I'm exhausted. I need a shower and to go to sleep. And so I get in, I get the key. But by the time all this happens, man, everybody had the same idea. One person stayed with the luggage. Everybody else go get the key. Now, we're all crowding, trying to get on these elevators. In Europe. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Europe. They don't have big, huge elevators like we do in the U.S. They got these little itty-bitty elevators. Now, here are crowds of us with our luggage trying to get on these little elevators. I'm so exhausted. I said, I said, Sharon, listen, I ain't going to be able to take this. We got to find something other way. So I asked one of the employees, y'all got another set of elevators? They said, yeah, just around the corner. So we go, and nobody's on those elevators. We jump on the elevators, go up to the eighth floor, and now we're looking for our room. There are other rooms up here, but not the room that's been reserved in our name. And I'm like, we're on the right floor, but I can't find the room. I asked another employee to have to be in the hallway. How do we get to this room? And, and she said, oh, you can't, you can't access that room with that set of elevators you came up on. I said, well, how do I get to my room? She said, you got to go back down on those elevators and then cross over. There's another set of elevators, and you get on those, and then that'll get you to where you need to go. Watch what she said. The, the place that has your name on it, your reservation, where you're supposed to be, you can't access that over here. I know you've gone up, but you can't get there over here. The only way you're going to be able to get there is you got to go back down, cross over, and then go up on a whole nother set of elevators. Some of us have been climbing the ladder of success our entire life. And after all of these years, now you discover that that ladder has been leaning on the wrong building. You've gone up. It's just not where the purpose and the place and the people where God wants you to be. Well, preacher, what do I need to do? I'm going to tell you, like that employee at that hotel in London told me, you got to humble yourself. You have to go back down. And when you go back down in the name of Jesus, go on and cross over to God's side and allow his Holy Spirit to pick you up and to take you to where God wants you to be. You went down in one place with that storm, but God is going to use that to have you to come up in a whole nother place. That's the kind of God we serve. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shores, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters. He lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. When nothing else would work, love lifted me. Y'all, I want you to understand, though you've been caught in a storm, God is using that to get you to the place, to the destination, to the purpose. He's going to use that to lift you with his love. But it starts with a personal relationship with God 
through his son, Jesus Christ. 